verse 9. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for godly for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but a woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet, she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. This is a very difficult passage that has brought uh, um, uh, divisions in churches and speculations over the years um, since the first century. But before I, I share this text with you and some thoughts from this text, as we, as we look to creation... As we look to creation, everything that God created is beautiful. As we think about the sun and the moon, as we think about the mountains and the trees and the animal kingdom, as Pastor Eli said, April showers bring May flowers. So you see, in a perfect harmony, how we need the sun and the moon, the night and the day, and even the seasons, right? Spring, winter. Spring is a wonderful season. We see the, the trees that were dormant during the winter. You see the, 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 tree, the, 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 the leaves growing back again and everything becomes green. And the flowers in May brings this wonderful uh, and colorful season. So everything works in a perfect harmony. God created everything to, to work in a perfect harmony. Now let's change our folks from this creation and let's think about humanity, the human beings. When you think about us, when you think about our bodies, our internal organs, how every organ works in a perfect harmony. Our hearts pumping blood to our brain, our brain gives, giving commands to our whole body. And even the brain itself is just an amazing thing. Right? Those who are in the medical field the brains is such a, um, it's hard to explain. So we see how everything works in a perfect harmony. However, when we think about the human beings, that's not quite the picture. Actually, what we see is a power struggling between men and women, rulers, leaders, children and parents. The picture that we have in humanity is quite opposite of what we see in creation and for what God has created us to. He created human beings to rule over creation and to work in a perfect harmony. They create us to coexist in a perfect harmony. So in our text today, this is Timothy's concern for the church. Uh, Paul's concern for Timothy as he's pastor in the church in Ephesus, that the church would not be led by the culture 
would not be led by this, um, or be driven by this power or struggle, but they would look to themselves as creating the image of God and would be able, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and the redemption that is in Christ, to coexist and work in a perfect harmony, to embrace their differences and distinctions and celebrate that. And we see very clearly that in chapter 3, verse 14 to 15, where Paul tells to Timothy the reason for his, the reason he's writing this letter. And this is what he says, chapter 3, 3 verse 14 to 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay... You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. What a wonderful text just to think about this, but it's not our point today. But here he's given us the reason of this letter, how one ought to behave to conduct themselves in the household of God. So in our passage today, Paul is not picking on women, as one might think. But this is a, a, this, his teaching in this passage is a, is, a, is a part of a series of teaching, right? A series of instructions that aim the whole church. In this passage, he's addressing women. But in chapter 3, he will talk about the elders and men and the deacons. And in chapter 4 and 5, widows, the young, and the church, and the elderly people. So in verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8, Paul talks about the proper demeanor for men when they pray in the church. The lifting of the hands has nothing to do with a specific posture while praying. But the image is there of ritual purity. With hands being cleansed before praying, representing a holy life. A life that's cleansed from doing evil. A life that has been redeemed. Men should pray, having their hearts and, hearts and hands cleansed from every kind of evil, and from quarreling, disputing. With the right motives. And then he makes this transition to chapter, to verse 9, to women, saying that the women should dress with modesty and pursue self-control. And before I, I start, we dive deep into this text, let, us, let me pray and ask for help of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we, in all things, we need you, Lord. And in all things we see you as we look at creation and, and how you created everything to work in a perfect harmony, Lord. Lord, we are thankful for the church, this pillar and buttress of truth. We're thankful that Jesus redeemed us and we can all sit together, men and women, Lord, and listen to a word and praise you for your wisdom as the creator and we as creatures we're not independent from you but 100% dependent on you therefore Lord we ask you 
Help us to understand this text. Those who are struggling, Lord, to embrace their manhood or womanhood, to understand that they are created, Lord, to glorify their name as we are, Lord. Men and women created after the image of God. Holy Spirit, help us. Help me as I ought to communicate your word. Lord, we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So the first thing that Paul says in verse 9 for women is dress, and this is my first point that I want to share with you, dress with modesty and pursue self-control. I think I have a slide for that. Dress with modesty and pursue self-control. Look at verse 9 and 10. Verse 9 and 10. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or and gold or apparels or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So women should, should dress with modesty, not with braided hair, jewelry, or costly apparel. Paul is not saying that women should not adorn themselves at all. He's saying that they should do in a way that does not call attention to themselves or to their exterior appearance. In other words, Paul is saying that Godly women's attention should not be the exterior only, but the adorning of the inner being with self-control and good deeds. From our perspective, for almost 2,000 years, apart from this text, it's hard to understand the reason why Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, giving us specific instructions about how women should dress themselves in the church very difficult to make the, to understand this. However, since the biggest threat to the church in Ephesus was false teaching, Paul is concerned that some women are being seduced by this false teaching. And in chapter 5, verse 11 to 15, we see that some women had, had already strayed from the faith going after this false teaching, being seduced by this false teaching. In our passage, Paul is making an emphasis on the attitude and the disposition of the heart of the women in the church. And part of that has to do with how they were behaving and presenting themselves in the church. And Peter shows a similar concern in in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, it's hard to, it seems that one is borrowing the language from another one here, Paul from Peter, or Peter from Paul, because they use the same language. Look what Peter says. Do not let the adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, is in, which in God's sight is very precious. You see the focus on this, the beauty of the inner being, the disposition of the heart. 
I remember as I grew up in a Christian family, and I remember some family members being part of other churches. And I remember it was very easy to, uh, a specific denomination, that they had a speci- that the women had a specific way to dress themselves. They were not allowed to trim their hairs. They were not allowed to, lo- to, to use pants. They were not allowed to use makeups, jewelry, or any sort of ring, uh, earrings, any, any sort of exterior thing. So it was, it was very, very hard to understand why they, they, they had this sort of dress code for the women. And I remember that this was one of the texts that they used, and I remember some of my family members quoting this text. And I was a teenager, and I didn't understand the context of this specific passage. But it's clear that Paul is not implementing a dress code here. He's not implementing a dress code in the church, nor is he trying to create a homogeneous community among the women. They should have a particular way of clothing themselves. He is trying to avoid the excess and the extremes that most of the time are so unhelpful. They're trying to avoid a woman would put so much attention on this exterior appearance that in the church would cause a disruption in the worship service. In other words, in our text, what we see is that godly women should not call attention to themselves by the way they dress, but they should clothe themselves with modesty and pursue humility and self-control. You see how Paul is tying, he's talking about dress, how they should pursue modesty, and then he makes an emphasis on self-control, which he repeats in verse 15. It's self-control. Good deeds. He's making a point, but he's emphasizing the, this, this inner being, this demeanor of the women. God, the women should avoid the passions of the flesh in anything that may lead others into sin, either by those who envy their beauty or their wealth or lust after them. And then in verse 11, Paul moves on to the other side of the problem of immodesty, the tendency towards insubordination. And the opposite of insubordination is submissiveness. This is the second point that I want to share with you, and we're going to camp on this one a little bit. Submissiveness is not related to inferiority, but humility. And before I explain the next verse, look at what Paul says about Jesus, our ultimate example and standard of humility. The Lord Jesus himself, right? Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8. Look what he says. Here's a wonderful text. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but empty himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
And being found in human form, he humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So the son who is one of the fathers submissively did the will of the father by emptying himself of his glory, becoming a man and dying on the cross. The son was never inferior to the father, the same way that the Holy Spirit is not inferior to Jesus. Jesus' gladly, Jesus' glad submission to the Father has nothing to do with inferiority, but humility and obedience. Within the, the, the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they, are, they have always been they, they, they have always been related to each other. All three are equal in power, importance, personhood, and deity. And yet the Father has the greater authority. For example, in redemption, God the Father sent the Son, who in obedience to the Father dies to pay for our sins. And all three are equal um, to pay for our sins. And after Jesus' ascension to heaven, He sent the Holy Spirit to empower the church to continue the work that He has started. Therefore, the work of redemption is the work of the Trinity. In redemption, we see each member of the Trinity working in a perfect harmony. Different roles and yet being one. You see, they're having different parts on this work of redemption. And yet we, we say that the work of redemption is the work of God. The work of the Trinity. Working in perfect harmony. Jesus died on the cross. The Holy Spirit is living in each believer today because Jesus died on the cross. Again, submissiveness is not related to inferiority, but to humility. Verse 11 to 12 have caused much debate in controversies in the church, like I said, for centuries. This is not new. And I'm glad that I'm preaching the sermon today on this specific passage. <laughs> and I mean it. By saying in verse 11 that women should learn quietly with all submissiveness, Paul is not prohibiting women from speaking in the worship service. Rather, being quiet emphasizes the submissive character of a godly woman in regard to the authority given to men to lead and to teach. Being quiet and submissive characterizes the demeanor of the women in the church who ought not to be shut out of the worship service and the learning process Neither are they to appropriate the authority of the pastors and the elders of the leaders of, in the church. Verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over men, over men in the context of the local church. One may hear these and wonder, from where Paul comes from with this? Where does this come from? 
It's like, what is his, what is his foundation to say such a thing? Right? And people who've never been to the church, they will, perhaps they will come through the door at this moment and hear me saying this verse, like, what are you talking about? What is, his, what is the base of this babbler to say such a thing like this? So, well, Paul's teaching is based on the clear evidence of the distinct roles given to men and women in creation by God. Verse 13. From Adam was formed first, then Eve. Indicates that the fact that God first created Adam, Adam, and then after a period of time created Eve from Adam, suggests that God saw Adam having a leadership role between the two. And this is consistent with the Old Testament teaching of primogeniture. Um, the idea that the firstborn has leadership in the family. We see this throughout Genesis. Um, uh, throughout the Old Testament. Before Eve was created, we see Adam naming the animals. Which indicates Adam's authority over the animal kingdom. After Eve was created and the Lord presented her to Adam... He named her Eve, Genesis 2, 23. This also indicates a leadership role on Adam's part. The fact that after the fall, God first called Adam to give an account for their disobedience indicates that Adam was a representative of his family and the human race. In verse 14... Paul says that the woman in the, the woman was deceived first and not the man. In the in Romans 5:15, we learn that in Adam we all died. We are learned that in Adam the curse of sin entered into the world because of his disobedience. And because of the headship and leadership with respect to the human race were given to Adam. Likewise, the leadership and headship in the church, and we could extend to the households as well, was given to men. And because of this distinction in roles and differences between men and women, Paul tells Timothy that women should not exercise a lord over men. But you see where he's based in his argument. He says something in verse 12 I do not permit a woman to exercise authority over man. And then in verse 13, he explains why. He brings us back to the creation order. He said, you see what's, what in creation order, how God ordained these things. And as an example, what I gave about the, 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 the creation, the nature itself, how everything works in a perfect harmony. In the beginning, God created man and women to live and coexist in perfect harmony. But sin, but sin brought an imbalance in our coexistence. Things are not as harmonious as it should be. Especially among human beings. To those of us like me and my wife who suffer with allergies, I'm sure they were having a wonderful season. Right? Anyone 
today who is suffering with allergy? Really? And one who took medicine before coming to church? I know you. I, I truly sympathize. Um, it's hard. And I think that explains why some might be sleeping right now. The effects of medicine, maybe. But if you look, I just learned actually this past week uh, something about pollen that I did not know. I was listening to a radio frequency AM. Yes, I do listen to frequency AM sort of radio. Um, to the teenagers out there, there's, a a, there's FM, K-Love, and there's a AM frequency. Just ask your dad when you're in the car, ask him to turn in. Exist that sort of thing. So I was listening this week, this past week, AM frequency on radio while driving, and a arborist, she was given an interview on the radio, and she was telling why we suffer so much with allergy in urban areas. And she was explaining to, to us, for me, who did not know, that the, there's a preference among landscapers in urban areas to choose for male trees because they're easy to take care. They do not produce fruits and seeds, so they choose male trees. And guess what? Male trees produce pollen. So, when we're in this urban area and we see so many male trees, you don't have enough female trees to absorb pollen. So, when you open your door and go to work in the morning, you see your car all white. There's a, female, there's a male tree producing pollen and make that mess and making our lives miserable. So there's no, there's an imbalance in this area. Not because, but because human interference in this. You see, there's this preference for landscapers, for male trees, bring this, this, this imbalance, and we suffer. And, and, and as they continue in this interview, she was saying that people in the future will suffer even more. Not only with allergy, but asthma and so on. Respiratory issues because of this imbalance. But God created everything in a perfect harmony if we just let it be. <laughs> just let the trees grow as they're supposed to. So in a similar way that many of us suffer and will suffer in the years to come because of this imbalance in our urban flora, <laughs> which is so beautiful. Uh, so do churches and families because of this struggle with leadership and submissiveness. There's an imbalance in our culture and we tend to bring the mindset into the church. And the curse of sin brought this distortion of our previous roles and introduced animosity between men and women that did not exist before the fall. It did not exist before the fall. Everything had a proper balance. Before the fall, Adam's leadership was marked by humility, gentleness, and love. But after sin, it became increasingly selfish, authoritarian, domineering, harsh, and self-centered. 
Likewise, Eve's willing and humble submission and affirmation of Adam's leadership became marked by rebellion and defiance. Power struggle. After the fall, the relationship between men and women became this, this, this struggle to coexist between two who are created to live in perfect and functional harmony. Taking care of what God created. The human race, as we all know, is characterized by this imbalanced power struggle. Who's going to lead? Who's going to determine the rules? Who's going to follow? I'm going to do it. No, you. No, I will. My way, no. My way or highway. Sort of struggle. In our families, we see that very clearly. Children with parents. Right? I'm sure you have children who are smart. There's this struggle for them to submit and obey the parents. And parents struggle to disciple their children, how to lead, how to, to deal with this sometimes defiance and disobedience of their children. You see, this struggle in, within, within men and women and family in general. That's why the work of redemption is so crucial in our society and the beginning of a new creation. The work of redemption is, is, the, is the undoing of the results of the fall. The restoration of our relationship with God and then with each other. The work of redemption reversed the results of the fall in every way. And restored the image of God in men and women that was blurred by sin. So our passage today zoomed in in some specific aspects of the proper conduct of the women in the church, which should be marked by modesty, self-control, and submissiveness. Women, listen to me. There's nothing wrong in taking care of yourself. Hair saloon, pedicure, makeup. But the question is, what is the focus of your attention? The adorning of the inner being or the exterior appearance? What is, what is your concern? I know that, I know, I know women, I know that some man inside and outside of the church have used this text as a pretext to shut down their wives and women in the church acting in a domineering way and trampling them down as if they are superior somehow in intelligence and worth. But if you have been married for a couple of years, you realize that's not the case at all. Men, if you are one of those, 
They have used this text as a pretext to shut down your wife and to act in a demeaning way. Repent. Repent. This is not the conduct of a godly man. That we are going to talk about you in the next sermon. Chapter 3. So women, just hold your peace. Today we're going to talk about you. Next sermon, we're going to talk about men. And elders. Which includes myself. But let me ask you this, man. If the pastor, if the elders, would ask your wife about your conduct, in all honesty to yourself right now, what would be her answer? What would be her answer? Would your leadership at home be characterized as loving, humble, considerate, and gentle? And women, can your husbands, in all honesty, characterize your conduct as one marked by humility, modesty, and submissiveness? Singles, and those who are seeking marriage, can your pastor characterize your conduct as humble, considerate, and submissive? Before I conclude, I want to talk about verse 15 briefly. Commentators agree that the she in verse 15, Paul is not talking about Eve, but they're talking about the women in, in, in Ephesus. And one thing that is clear is that Paul is not saying that women will be saved if they have children. Otherwise, Paul would contradict the New Testament teaching of salvation by grace through faith alone. And godly women in the past and in the present that cannot have children, they would never be saved. So this is not the case. And if that was the case, would have less, would be a good case for, not, for abortion. Right? So if women are saved through, by bearing children. So... But that's not the case. He's, that's not what he is saying. It seems that Paul is trying to show that even though through Eve's transgression, sin entered the world, women now have a unique role and responsibility to have children and to raise them up in the instruction of the Lord if they continue in faith in love and holiness and pursue self-control. Sin entered through Eve and Adam, but now Eve has this unique responsibility, this unique role of bearing up children and raise them up in the destruction of the Lord. Thank God. Thank God for, for the teaching and godly influence of Timothy's Timothy's mother and grandmother in his life that prepare him to follow Christ and be a minister of the gospel. Thank God for the godly women in this church and in our lives who had influenced us 
and have the privilege today to influence their children in the midst of a confused society. We have a unique role that we men, we do not have. Thank God for those who are pursuing this modesty, this humility, the adorning of the inner being to, and to, inf, to influence their children. Women, you do not need to prove your worth. You do not need to prove your worth by exercising leadership in the church and in your homes. Women are as intelligent, wise, discerning, discerning, and capable as men are. The issues that men and women struggle to fulfill their God-given roles and responsibilities. One, by appropriating a position that does not belong to them according to, the, to, to, to God and His creation and how He ordained all things. And others by being passive and afraid to assume leadership in their homes. As God intended this leadership to be. Women, by you, by living a godly life, caring for your homes and family, raising up children and submitting and affirming the leadership of man, you embrace God's will for your life and the worth that He had assigned to each of you. Women, listen to me. If you are living in the abusive relationship, if your husband is characterized in this way as not being a godly leader, you have elders in the church. If you are being abused psychologically, Vocally or physically, talk to the leaders of this church. You have a place to seek wisdom and help. Do not be silent. That's not the way that godly men should lead their homes. This is serious. Our leadership should not be characterized by trampling down our wives and women in our homes and in the church. And if you are this man, you ought to repent. And the elders of this church, they will talk to you, hoping that you would return and would be a godly man that God has called you to be. Because men and women were created equals in the image of God, men are not superior to women, nor are women inferior to men. In the same way that there are differences and roles between the members of the Trinity, as I explained, yet they coexist harmoniously. There are differences in roles between men and women, and we should also coexist harmoniously. In Jesus, we are new creatures created for His glory and to reflect His character and image to the world. Therefore, let the church, our marriages, our homes, and our relationship with with people of the opposite sex and with each other be marked by mutual respect and honor. Because in God's eyes, 
Men and women are equal and yet different, possessing the same worth. Men have a particular role in representing God by exercising authority and humble leadership. So likewise, women have a specific role in representing God by clothing themselves with modesty, pursuing humility, self-control, and submissiveness. And men and women, we should embrace our differences and honor each other. We should and can coexist in perfect harmony, displaying to the watching world, the redemptive power of the gospel in restoring and reversing the curse of sin. We know we live in a confused society. But when we, when we look at the scriptures with humility... When we read the scriptures in their own context, we see the beauty of, of the gospel in Christ and God in affirming womanhood and manhood for our own good. Do you understand that it's not about power or struggle, but it's about Christ being honored in who we are and embracing our differences and fulfilling our roles, understanding that Christ is the head of the church. That's the beauty of the gospel reversing the curse of sin and telling us, you people who are creating God's image to reflect His glory wherever you go. That's the beauty of the gospel of Christ for us. We should embrace and celebrate. Oh, this is beautiful. As we look in these terms, when we look at this beauty, we should rejoice with each other. Give honor and glory to Him who saved us. Let us pray.